from somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. Oh yes, joyous greetings to you and yours, Mr. Rob Rook. It's me, it's Mike. This is Mike Davidson Lives. Thanks for downloading this podcast. And Merry Frickin' Christmas to you and yours. Hope you're enjoying it uh, this holiday week. And I'm using this as a, a, a chance to uh, have a two-parter go on here. A uh, two-parter year in rock. Uh, I used to be in rock radio, as you know, The Bear, and uh, a couple other places. And... Uh, you know, I've I, I've done a bunch of podcasts here in the last year and a half, and there are some stories I don't get to, and some of them are rock related, and I just haven't really talked about rock music in general for a while. And um, I I use this opportunity to uh, you know sit down and talk with Steve Raznazi, a guy I used to work with down in Kokomo, also a big rock fan, and uh, we started talking about some things. Uh, I went for about an hour, broke it up into two parts. This first part now. Second part will be New Year's weekend. Uh, this go around, we're talking about why I chose to talk about this, as well as uh, 1991. Was it the last great rock year? Also, uh, something that Frank Zappa once said that's pretty prophetic. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly, top rock tourist of 2022. Taylor Swift doing her best Pearl Jam impersonation. And rock stars rebelling against Elon. <laughs> so, without further ado, away we go. I wanted to do this show because uh, because I was inspired by two news stories and something a former boss of mine said uh, in the realm of rock music. Um, I saw uh, maybe about a week or two ago that uh, I think it was WNNX Rock 105 out of Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta's mm-hmm. south. I, I'm, and rock music's kind of hit or miss down there anyway because mm-hmm. Atlanta country or rap. Like, it's a big, like, outcast made Atlanta a big hip-hop city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, you're in the middle of Georgia, country music. But uh, they, they flipped to uh, alt-rock, so they're playing less Godsmack and Shine Down and more of Walk the Dog, Walk the Moon, Moon the Walk, moon, those type of bands. Walk the Dog. Yeah, Walk the Dog. Uh, you know, but that's a big flip, and that's a big rock station. Um, and then you had, uh, uh, you know, all these album sales, album downloads. Still, It's a different world now because of the Internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Machine Gun Kelly is the top rock artist of 2022 oh god not a rock tourist mind you that's what he said but you know he played he played a drummer in a rock movie so he's obviously a rock star oh absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah and um uh, i remember uh this conversation about seven years ago next month when i hired on at 98 on the bear uh matt Toludo, aka the gas man uh we were talking shop about music and he was talking about how like the bear was more gold intensive. You know, you're playing more of your classic stuff in the seventies, eighties, nineties, early two thousands and less on the, we played new rock, but we weren't playing it every other song. It was just more or less kind of an image thing to show that we were hip. Um, but he said when it came to music, rock music, the best testing stuff was from the nineties and the eighties. He said, and this is back 2016, he told me that a lot of the newer music just was not testing well. It was not sticking well with a lot of modern audiences for whatever reason. It just didn't capture their imagination. 
And so when I'm seeing all this stuff, you know, rock stations struggling because they're playing bands that nobody cares for. And when you've got basically a SoundCloud rapper who's banging Megan Fox as your top rock guy, <laughs> it, it kind of gives credence to what he was telling me. Pretty much. I mean, first of all, he's a lucky SOB to have Megan Fox, but that's all. That's <laughs> the only thing that's good about him. <laughs> I right. couldn't name you one Machine Gun Kelly song, mind you. But <clears throat> right. No. Um, I think that's the, unfortunately, that's kind of the route rock music has gone today. I'll take a quote from Gene Simmons. I do not like Gene Simmons. I think he's, he's kind of I like an Kiss. Ass. He's kind of an ass, yeah. Uh, he said a while back, uh, rock is dead. And I'm going to say this. I don't think it's dead, but I don't think it's alive. I think it needs to be revived, but I don't think it's dead. Comp- I don't think it's unheard of anymore yeah. but i think a lot uh, as to what gas man was refer- t- talking to you about when you got hired on there yeah. i think there's a lot of a lot of these new music songs you hear today there's not a rock and roll uh, genre really going on like you had the pretty reckless come out and they're good taylor momson's awesome but mm-hmm. was this really when they came out with their debut album in what 2011 were we in a real genre where something new has happened? Something new has come to in rock, like when 91, when Nirvana released Nevermind. Yeah. Now, Pearl Jam's 10 was released a month before that. However, Smells Like Teen Spirit is what literally kicked in the door for alternative music to be mainstream mm-hmm. and pretty much did away with all the 80s hard rock you hear. That's still all good stuff, don't get me wrong, but um, as the years went by, people got kind of sick of hearing people sounding like the 80s, and they wanted something different. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what we're overdue for is a new Nirvana or you know a new Sabbath or Zeppelin, something to kick in the door to something new. And Pretty Reckless is excellent. I love Taylor Mobson, but did they really a door kicker inner, if that makes sense? They really kick a door yeah, do they? It's it's, uh, it's interesting you brought up Zeppelin. I mean, it almost implies like you don't think Greta Van Fleet's the next Zeppelin. No, no, Greta Van. <laughs> they ne- but remember, Mike, they never heard of Zeppelin. Remember? Oh yeah, they yeah, never yeah, heard yeah. of it. Zeppelin, who? <laughs> We've heard of the Beatles, Bob Dylan, but Zeppelin. What the hell are you talking about? Who are the? Is that an underground band? Where, where, where can I go see him in a club? You know, it's it's funny. Uh, you brought up Nirvana and Pearl Jam 1991 because uh, I was thinking about this the other day. And I think that – and I'm not saying that this was the – I mean, this was one of the best years in rock. And there were some good years after this year. But I think the last big year for rock music overall, not just for grunge, was 1991. And I just start, I started making a list of all the albums that came out that year. And uh, some of these albums included Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 1, and two. They put out two albums that year. Two albums of the same day. Yeah, Metallica, uh, their self-titled album, which was uh, commonly known as the Black Album. Uh, Nirvana with Nevermind, which was just huge. Ozzy Osbourne, No More Tears, Primus, mm-hmm. probably the best time, name <laughs> of an album here. Uh, Sailing the Seas of Cheese, uh, Pearl Jam 10, R.E.M., Out of Time, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, Skid Row, Slave to the Grind. 
Smashing Pumpkins with Gish, uh, Soundgarden, Bad Motorfinger, Temple of the Dog, worth their uh, self-titled album. Uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Into the Great Wide Open, U2 with Octung Baby, and Van Halen for Unlawful Cardinal Knowledge, which may or may not be an acronym for something. Exactly. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, but that's such a huge list. I mean, you had some of your old school guys. You had some of your grunge guys. You know, you had kind of the college rock thing with R.E.M., uh, you had a variety of these bands and people would talk about these albums. I, I don't think you could come up with a top 10 list of bands or top 10 list of albums in the last 22 years. You know, we talk about a 22 year span of this new millennium, soon to be 23 compared to 1991. Those are all classic albums. Those are all albums that people know. I mean, Gish is more of the underground uh, kind of a before, Siamese Dream for Smashing Pumpkins, but this was just like, this was a huge year for rock. Oh, Gish was a great album in general, I thought. I thought it was just as good as Siamese Dream, but I know Siamese Dream was the more mainstream album, obviously, mm-hmm. in 93, but I think Gish had a lot of underrated tracks on it. But um, to, answer, to uh, respond to what, to add on to what you were saying, it all had something in common, I think. The old stuff like Van Halen and Ozzy and the new and you can add Guns N' Roses to that, too, because they came yeah. out with Appetite in 87. But the new stuff, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, um, Temple of the Dog, which was the tribute album to the late Andrew Wood of Mother mm-hmm. Love Bone. Right. Um, it all had something in common. The listener it had what the listener was looking for at that time. Yeah. The listener was they were they still loved. They'll never forget the 80s hard rock that took place. However, they kind of also wanted something new instead of the same old, same old every day. Every year you want something to change. You want something a little different. And 91 was that year where everything was put into one and made the listener satisfied. That's what sold all the albums. And mind you, actual musicians making the songs, writing their own songs, not – to, uh, some pop star up on stage dancing around with five different dancers and having the songwriters in the back room writing the whole album for whatever their next album may be. And not everybody was a rapper also for crying out loud. Right. Yeah. Now, yeah, it, it was interesting because I was um, on uh, Hulu. There's just like this show about uh, the dark side of the nineties. And my wife and I were watching coincidentally last night, uh, you know, the sub pop, the rise of sub pop out in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And they talked about what, how, what a huge song smells like teen spirit was to some of these record reps. Cause like uh, Matt Pinfield was talking about how he was at a convention in 91. And that was just the talk of the street. They were like, what does this song mean? What the hell is this? And Nirvana was so rich. I mean, w- when hair metal, you, you get to the point where you consider Nelson and Firehouse hair metal band. Oh, God. You kind of have to, yeah, it, it, that's pretty much a signaling of the change of the guard. You have, and there, and Nirvana was just the right band at the right time. Now, the argument can be made, and I think it's a valid one, that that Nirvana had its own Nelsons and Firehouses. Like with new metal, there's a lot of bands that basically kind of took that same feel that Nirvana had. And kind of incorporated in their sound and some people can say well that's a knockoff of nirvana and it kind of reminded me i think i i did send you this link actually the uh the frank the frank zappa link i don't know when the hell this interview was but it's a black and white interview of him and i'm going to link this up on the mike davidson podcast page 
but he's smoking a cigarette, just talking about how, like, back in the old days, a lot of record producers didn't know what the hell they were doing because rock was a new thing. And you had these young kids come in and they're like, oh, what is it? I don't know. Put it out. Cigarette sells. Sometimes it would. Sometimes it wouldn't. If it sold, they just let them do what they did. And then um, you would get these hippies, these fanboys that would listen to these albums. Like, oh, great. This is so cool. I'm going to come in, man, and, you know, get involved with the industry. And because they're going off of their own childhoods and what they perceive the public wants, that's when you get people that are kind of shoehorning these bands to sound like something. Like, I think Rick Rubin is, some people say he's overrated. I think he's kind of underrated because a lot of the times he just, he'll give them the notes and advice, but he's trying to get the most basic sound out of these guys. He's not trying to make, when he was doing Blood Sugar Sex Magic, he wasn't trying to get the Chili Peppers to sound like Nirvana or Motley Crue. He was just trying to get them to sound like themselves. Mm-hmm. And with a new too. Yeah, John Frusciante. And that's the type of producers that it really, I kind of, I agree with that, uh, that, uh, you, t- the Frank Zappa interview at yeah. Link you're talking about. I mean, it was way ahead of its time, actually, if you think about it. Um, when you give the musician the autonomy to make their own record, do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Now coach them here and there, do a little bit of coaching, maybe t- more tempos here, less here. But overall, when you do, when you give them the autonomy to make their own record, it usually comes out with the best product as opposed mm-hmm. to, okay, here's what you need, micromanaging them. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to sound like Nirvana. If you don't sound like Nirvana, it's going to be the end of the world for you. You're, you're no. not, you're never going to, you're not going to. Skip, you're, you're going to be playing nothing more than a bowling alley down the road. That's the only thing you'll be playing. You're not going to be playing anywhere. You'll be going, taking a bus home. Right. Uh, autonomy, giving the artist the autonomy to do their own record is what makes the best music. 99.9 slash 100% of the time. It, it kind of go off of that, you know, um, I, I'm reminded of uh, George Martin, legendary producer for the Beatles. Before he hooked up with the Beatles, he was just doing classic classical music because rock was still a new thing. He didn't know anything about rock. He was just like, okay, I'm going to go in there, work with these lads, see if something happens. And a lot of shit happened. Like the Beatles became one of the biggest things ever. Um, it, it kind of a side note. I mean, I know they're more on the pop side of rock. I Some people say they're a boy band, but they wrote all their own shit. They played their own instruments. Yes. And later on in their careers, they would experiment with stuff. Sometimes it would work. Sometimes it wouldn't. But they were taking chances. They're, they are more rock than a lot of these other rock bands. And, I, and I'll name one example later on in the podcast. But, like, I, I, w- I just, you know, when I look back at the six short years that the Beatles were in the limelight, they did a lot of amazing stuff. They did some shit, but they did a lot of amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And many albums to prove it, too. Yeah. Uh, and it was in, and they, they arrived in the States, what, in 64, the British Invasion? February uh, 64, I think. 64, yep. Yeah. So now just take that into account. They broke up in 70. That's in a six-year period. Look at all the albums they gave us that they wrote themselves. Yeah. Not uh, not these top 40 artists you see today where people are writing their songs for them, mm-hmm. and they're being told what how to sing and what to do, and they release it, and the – the crowd just thinks it's the greatest thing of all time. There's no effort put into it. And it's always no. recycled material of stuff 
content that previous artists in previous decades have created. Right. They came up original. So yeah. six year span. They can't all be original like uh, Machine Gun Kelly. Um, um, <laughs> it's the top selling rock artist. I mean, it's it's kind of and he and he swears he's not a rock tourist. You know, he was just you know he's you know rock and roll and all this stuff. I mean, you know, and I, you know, of course we laugh about yeah. it, but it's kind of a sad indictment of of the genre. I mean, I know like my experience with rock radio, you know, Beastie Boys and Beck were played, um, mm-hmm. but you know. You know, there was kind of an edge to them, and like they they kind of fit the attitude. They were, I wouldn't say Beastie Boys are a rock rock band per se. I know that, that they played their instruments on a occasion. They were more rappers, but they kind of fit that edge a little bit because there's a smart ass thing to them. Beck, exactly. Beck's kind of a hard. Beck is kind of like Prince. He's kind of a hard guy to pigeonhole in terms of genre. I mean, the dude's a very talented musician, and and uh. I, I think a lot of casual fans don't realize there's more to him than loser and where it's at. I mean, he's, he's good watch live by the way, but like Ooh. those guys fit the genre and, and I don't mind occasional crossovers. I know that Zach Brown did that thing with Chris Cornell a few years ago. And I thought it was a phenomenal song. You know, it was more like, uh, you know, Skinner meets Sabbath, the way the song Damn. felt a uh, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Um, but like, you know, Machine Gun Kelly, Post Malone, those guys just don't fit. They, it, there's no sticking power to them. They're, a guy that likes Ozzy, a guy that likes, you know, Nirvana or Metallica, they're not going to look at him and go, yeah, I want this on my playlist. Well, a guy, let's take uh, <laughs> Post Malone. The only Malone I know is Sam Malone. Right. Cheers. But let's take Post Malone, Machine Gun Kelly, their first radio hits, whatever they may have been, I don't know. But where did they start out? On top 40 radio. Right. Rock radio was never even playing. It's you're ne- it's hard to be an artist who wants to become a rock and roll artist when they started off on top 40 radio. It's kind of like a Demi Lovato. She's a pop star. One of the, uh, she ha- now has uh, Nita Strauss as her guitar player, I think. Uh-huh. She right. wanted to make a rock album. Well, that's fine. And Demi Lovato, as much as I hate top 40 i'll see if she's got a good voice just like adele as much as i hate adele adele's got an actually a legendary voice and probably one of the few that actually writes her music right but how is that gonna how is a person that listens to that's listened to rock and roll for many years gonna go wow this person was on top 40 radio just two years ago now they're a complete rock star i'm gonna I want to play them. I want to listen to them when they play, get played on the rock station, even though they started out on top right. 40 radio. That's just never going to happen. That well, is never, ever going to happen. I think, too, I mean, it, how this is a sad indictment is just like, you know, as much as I hate to say it, I mean, Machine Gun Kelly, Post Malone, they have their fans. They um, do. And they are popular. And uh, right now, financially, in terms of listeners, they're not hurting. But it's almost like a lifeline, especially with rock stations. And and the format in general, it's like a lifeline for them because it's like no one else is really bringing the attention that uh, they want to the full thing. Um, I mean, look at what (laughs) this is kind of. Remember, obviously, Vanilla Ice in 98, he made a rock album. Oh, Jesus. I remember that. Uh, Like he did a part, a new metal rap rock Ice Ice Baby. It was actually worse than the original. Yeah. And that's just a perfect example of what we're talking about here. It's just, it would never work. 
Yeah. The fans really did not take well to that, and yeah, he, honestly, he, rightfully so. He he looked at what Corn, uh, Lip Biscuit, and Bloodhound Gang were doing, and he's like, "Me too." And it's like, "No, not you." No. Uh, and I'll also say this too: you and I go kind of go back and forth on Lip Biscuit, like Lip Biscuit or hate them. Mm. That genre, new metal, when they were big, Nirvana, as we said, Nirvana was the last generation of rock, really. Right. But Limp Biscuit and Corn and the new metal, like him or hate, I mean, we all love Corn, but Limp Biscuit, I still love Limp Biscuit. Yeah. The reason being, they had about eight hits, like him or hate him. Yeah. They were, they were big. Was big. They were big at the time. Now, take, say, Seether, and I love Seether. Sean Morgan's a great vocalist. I've but, talked to him before, yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. And Dale Stewart, the drummer, is good, too. Um, but where were they when out of all the albums they put out? Where have they been on award shows or talked about mainstream? Never. Limp yeah. Biscuit in 99, 2000 was the main was mainstream stuff. It wasn't on top 40 radio, but it was everybody was talking about it. Corn. Blink-182, Enema of the State, they're, they, they get dubbed an emu band. But remember, Enema of the State came out in 99. That was before emu the, music took place. Yeah, the... Uh, the every are, rock are you saying emo or emu? Emo, emo, whatever. Emo, emo. <laughs> I, I, I watched that Liberty Mutual commercial. I guess. Oh, my God. <laughs> but regardless, that's actual, that was actual... Rock stations were playing that album. Back if you then. if you want to call Fallout Boy, uh, you know, emus, that's fine with me. Yeah. All right. <laughs> oh God. Speaking of emotion, uh, a lot of emotion. Uh, the, the, kind of off the beaten path, but it's uh, it kind of relates to previous history. Uh, the Taylor Swift Ticketmaster fiasco from a few weeks back, uh, where you know. You know, she's got this upcoming Eras tour, and of course it's going to sell out because she is probably, it's probably between her and Beyonce in terms of top pop stars in the world that can just sell out arenas like they do. And so they, all the Swifties got online, they're trying to buy tickets, and somehow Ticketmaster didn't realize, oh, there's going to be this insane demand, and people are going to get knocked, locked out of buying tickets. Some people would buy tickets firsthand and not get them and get charged thousands of thousands of dollars on their bank account which would make it overdrawn so they didn't know when to quit tap out (laughs) and then like you got some women uh that were uh complained about how like they had to go on the secondary markets your stub hubs and stuff and pay thousands of dollars and look i'm a little sympathetic to a 14 year old girl who doesn't know basic economics because she doesn't know how the world works but when you have grown as adults who are willing to sacrifice rent or mortgages and bills and you know eating something other than ramen that seems a little insane to me well yeah i mean as you said that uh those people these 14 year olds obviously have never taken a class on balancing your checkbook or anything and understanding that there's much more important things to use money on than a Taylor Swift concert. Now, granted, to each is his own. If that's the music they like, obviously they're 14, fine. But mm-hmm. should be spending a thousand dollars. Are they that important? Is is Taylor Swift? Is the Taylor Swift concert that important for you to be spending a thousand dollars on on a, on a Taylor Swift ticket? I mean. I, 
I could think of much more things to spend that on. First of all, maybe a home mortgage. Yes. Uh, if you have, if you have one, I don't. If you have, I don't. I, I always I buy don't. used junk cars, but if you have one, a car payment. Well, we uh, paid off our car not too long ago, so that's. There you go. There you go. No. I paid mine off a long time ago, but because and I just I like. I'm gonna cars go buy a Taylor I, Swift ticket. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, I'm gonna go buy a Taylor <laughs> Swift ticket or and and a seven dollar small latte and but then complain about how i'm in debt all the time and have no money and that my boss doesn't pay me enough yeah the the Uh, thing is is like i remember a few months ago not a few months a few years back i had the good fortune to see foo fighters live uh even with taylor hawkins behind the drum kit a phenomenal drummer great loss we'll talk more about that later but like it took me about 45 minutes like the tickets went on sale Ten months before the show, eight or ten months before the show, and that's become a trend now. Yeah. Um. But they went on sale, and it took me 45 minutes to an hour just to get Foo Fighter tickets. Foo Fighters very popular. I wouldn't say they're Taylor Swift popular, but I mean Dave Grohl's yeah. got nothing to worry about in terms of eating his next meal. Right. But that that was a packed show. It was a great show. But I think if I couldn't buy them firsthand or secondary, I would just tap out and go, Hey, I've got my albums. I can live vicariously through the music still. I mean, I love going to live shows, but it's not going to make or break me if I don't see them ever. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Foo Fighters, unfortunately, they're not as popular as Taylor Swift. That's the unfortunate right. thing. But that said, if if some, I went and saw Bob Seger a couple of years ago, and I got lucky. I I was just happy to see Bob Seger. And right. I got like a little more than a nosebleed ticket, but those tickets were running like – the high-end tickets were like 600 700 bucks. Wow. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I got a ticket for like that was maybe less than a hundred bucks, and I still got it. It was a decent view of the stage, and I was satisfied. I would never pay any more for the for the. I paid too much for that, to be honest with you. It was less than a hundred bucks, and I still thought it was too much. But if yeah. I couldn't get that ticket, I just said, "Sorry, Bob, I'm not going to come see you at their last concert." I and I love Bob Seger. I've got a lot of his stuff on cassette tape, some on CD too. But a concert is not that important to me. I can just jam out in my garage, work on my cars, and throw yeah. it in the CD or cassette player and just listen to the old – listen to the tracks off of that instead of going to see something live. Now, live's nice, but I'm not going to empty out my 401K to go see a concert. And how many concerts have you seen, you think? A lot. Okay. That's a round number. But they're all – every. Every concert I've been to, though, the tickets have been decent. I don't buy – I never paid over 100 bucks for a ticket. Right. No, that, that's, that gets a little price. Now, the thing uh, yeah. the, about this whole Taylor Swift thing, it is it does remind me, going back to that bygone era of the 90s, Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. You know, they went to war with Ticketmaster. And big band, um, I don't agree with everything Eddie Vedder, you know, is politically. But, like, on right. this, like, yeah, yeah, Ticketmaster's too big for their damn britches. You go and fight against them, and and they try as they might. Even they kind of had a shrug and go, okay, we, we tap out. And you know, Ticketmaster now, I mean, they're owned by Live Nation. They pretty much bought out everybody in the game. Um, the one thing that, like, I, I, I'll tell you this, like, I am sympathetic to the 14 year old kid that doesn't know any better about economics. Right. But Taylor Swift and her team not knowing about how about what Ticketmaster was doing is kind of dumb. And when she released that statement saying that she didn't like the fact that her fans were basically going through the experience of what equates to be a bear attack, 
that seems a little dramatic to me because if you've been in a bear attack, you're probably not alive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, bears generally don't take you uh, upside down and shake you of your change and run off like you get nasty, Take your right? lunch money from you. <laughs> it's it's a lesson learned. It's it, if you walk away from a disaster, it's not a bear attack for Christ's right. sake. But I just I when I saw that I mean like I was like how are they how are people not making fun out of this statement it's such bullshit. Well, it's a, it's, you can make a bunch of memes to it also for Facebook. Right. I mean, t- Pearl Jam was ahead of Taylor Swift twenty eight years earlier on this. They were. And now as you, I I'm like you I don't agree with every single political statement Eddie Vedder makes and all that. But I thought I was on Pearl Jam I would have been on Pearl Jam's side in this in this instance. Yeah. But however, it's a monopoly. Ticketmaster has bought out Ticketron. They're with Live Nation now. It's it's all a monopoly. This is what happens, and it's unfortunate. But Taylor Swift making a statement, oh, this is uh, like a bear attack. Yeah, you're just making yourself. Come on, come on, seriously. He's from Tennessee. I was born. Right? In, yeah, I was born tonight, Tennessee. but not last night. <laughs> right, right. Well, so so that was that weird statement. Um. Now, another story that kind of goes into to rock a little bit, Elon Musk and Twitter, yeah. um, you know, there's some things he's done that I like. There's some things that make me kind of roll my eyes because he's Elon Musk. You know, he's mm-hmm. anybody who's worth billions of dollars is going to have an ego. There's no, yeah. I don't believe in the concept of an out, all altruistic billionaire because, you know, you got that money somehow. Yeah. But some of these people that are – some of these rock stars that are leaving Twitter – as much as I love Jack White, you know, he threw a big hissy fit and left. Uh, Trent Reznor, Nine Nails. I can understand the emotional distress of a social media because social media is kind of a cesspool, but he had to make a big stink about it and leave. And then Elton John was, I think, the more recent guy. You know, with, with Elton, though, you know, he's pretty much retired from touring. Yeah. And he doesn't have a lot to promote anyway. And it's not like these guys go – he's talking about all the misinformation on Twitter. It's not like I see Elton John or Trent Reznor interacting with these – other Twitter users that follow them. I'm sure they got handlers that do their Twitter accounts. That's, that's probably true. And I think the Elton John Twitter account was only following like a dozen other accounts. It's not like they were looking at, you know, what John 420, 69, 69 was saying about <laughs> uh, QAnon or whatever. It's not, it wasn't like Elton John was like, well, I can't believe this fan's such an a-hole. I don't think Elton John can be bothered with Twitter is what I'm getting at. Well, I I agree with you for the most part. I'll try I'll try not to be Chris Collinsworth in this instance, but uh, here's a guy. Yeah, here's a guy. <laughs> but um, I hate Elon Musk in general, not because of his politics. I'm a gasoline right. car guy. I hate electric cars. That's why. I yeah, hate I'm not a big Elon electric Musk. car fan either. No, but I'm like, a gasoline. like Twitter. Yeah, I don't care. If, if Elon Musk likes Joe Biden, I hate Elon Musk. If Elon Musk likes Donald Trump, I hate Elon Musk. I don't You're care. You're just not a Musk guy. Exactly. I'm a I'm a gasoline forever guy. But I digress. Right. Um, for the artists leaving Twitter and all that, uh, it's I don't think Elon's really done a whole lot to change the game. I just right. think it's kind of a new political party and all this. Same meet the new boss, same as the old boss, except different political. Parties. I was actually just thinking same, that lyric. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I think it's they have a right, of course, to leave. But, you know, 
I think it's I think it's a little silly that they're leaving just because of different political parties in the, yeah. it's at the helm of Twitter. I don't even know who I know Jack Dorsey created Twitter, but Twitter wasn't when I was in college. Twitter wasn't even around. That kind of shows my age, but right. it was. But I think it was J- Dorsey that started it. I don't know who it was though before Elon, but it just. I don't even have a tw- Twitter account, to be honest with you. So I can't really – it doesn't bother me either or. I just think – I wish right. the artist would quit going, they don't like – they don't. They have an opinion I don't agree with. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> Peace. We out of here. Exactly. Um, Sayonara. But, See you next time. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't mind if they leave Twitter, but it's like you're, you're making a big stink about leaving Twitter. It's like, okay, whatever. Um, and, and the thing, too, is like – you know, when it comes to if you don't like an account with Twitter, I mean, you can mute an account. You can unfollow an account. If it gets too racy, you can report the account. Right. Um, but just like, oh, okay, new ownership. And and it, this kind of like my frustration, I don't follow a lot of rock bands on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but the ones I do, I know for a fact they're not like, you know, tweeting back and forth. You know, if, I, I, I doubt very much – James Hetfield of Metallica is interacting with all millions of his listeners, you know, fans. It's just basically there for promotional purposes. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and a, a lot of rock bands are like that. A lot of act. Now, some actors, that's a different story. But like with rock bands, predominantly it comes off as promotional. And I don't understand why they're getting pissy about Elon Musk. It's not like they're going. He's going to ban. Trent Reznor for you know scoring a David Fincher movie he doesn't like. <laughs> At <laughs> least Fincher, I don't wow. think he's going to. Um, <laughs> and there you go, part one of my conversation with Steve Raznanzi, former cohort port in uh, rock radio, talking about the state of rock music. Uh, part two will drop next weekend, New Year's weekend, because again, I'm going to enjoy the holidays best I can, and hopefully uh, between now and then, a new podcast with me talking about. Uh, whatever might be happening here at the end of 2022 we'll see till then enjoy your holiday merry christmas stay festive you've been listening to mike davidson live be sure to check him out on social media like him at facebook.com backslash m davidson live follow him on twitter look for at davidson live